Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark, Stephen, and I will be talking today about how people fully break free from addiction, treatment, and recovery. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly through private video conference or at our residential retreat, which is still open at a limited capacity. You can learn about the Freedom Model private instruction program at leaveaddictionbehind.com and thefreedommodel.org. You can also learn about the retreat at soberforever.net. What we're going to talk about today, we we have uh, we got a really great detailed question um, about changing your preference. I think that's really what, what the question is about, about well, it's kind of all-encompassing. Um, we have somebody that is that has been reading our book and and sending us questions occasionally, and we thought this one was important enough for us to um, to answer right here in a podcast. So here goes. He says, "You make it sound as if one simply changes their usage preference and they easily change." I understand that the current excessive use pattern has become habitual and easily accomplished. However, establishing a viable alternative requires much effort. Not for everyone, I'm going to I'm going to stop there. Not for everyone, but for some people it does. It requires being clear why you like the current option, verifying the drug of choice delivers that benefit, not believing avoided costs are a motivator for change, establishing the benefits from alternative usage options, and finally running a trial period to verify the value for a new option. That looks like a significant effort to me. In fact, it requires multiple sessions with your students to process all of that. All my previous attempts to change have been motivated by avoided costs, and while that may be sufficient to initiate a change, my willpower cannot overcome my preference to continue problematic usage. Would you discuss why avoided cost is a poor motivator and why meaningful change appears so complex? Can I can I start us off here? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think that there's a lot of validity to what this fella is saying. Um, if you're deep in the cultural paradigm of powerlessness, right, and loss of control and the mythology that does keep people trapped, I think it does take uh, effort. But I think your point, Michelle, that for many, it is easy. As a matter of fact, for, for the vast majority of people that change a drug habit, it's, it's not only easy, it's effortless. Right. They, that a lot of change that we have in life comes as a almost as a vehicle of where you're just moving through time and space and one option dies to another. It just happens seamlessly. You know, you go, I always use the analogy of the bicycle to a car when you get your license, which I'm writing about right now. But but there's, and that's just a tiny example, but the point is you, you do move effortlessly. And, um, you know, a lot of teenagers, a lot of college students who party heavy in college when they get out, they don't even think about getting, getting drunk every night like they did at the frat house, you know? Right. So... So first of all, and that's the vast majority, there's a huge drop in usage from 25 to 30 for that very reason, because it's seamless. Now, for the person that's been drinking for a longer period of time, is more bought into the mythology, that causes such a huge distraction to the truth and, and a distraction to, um, to, to changing seamlessly and easily uh, that that you have to debunk all that. And to his so to his point, for those people that are deep, it does take a process of coming to terms with the truth. 
And uh, it's not about willpower. There's a part in here that he's just flat out wrong about, but that's fine. That We understand that it's, it's not about power. Um, it's, it's about choices, but we can hit that finer point later. Um, he's hitting, he's hitting this idea that there is a process that people need to, to take to debunk the things that distract them from the truth. And I think that his point is true. You know, I think it's, I think there's a lot there that makes sense to me, but it's, it's not everybody. Everybody doesn't need that kind of work to figure out you know, how deep they are. All right, well, let's let's talk about the people that do. I mean, so so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll talk about the people that do. But I, I think the willpower thing, look at when we work with people, sometimes they get every single thing in the book except for one thing, and yeah. it's the one thing that stops him. And, and this whole question, I think, can be summed up by the willpower idea. Confusion. Yeah, don't you think? So I want Stephen to talk about that. Yeah, that is a big point of confusion, right? Um. Willpower is a, is, is a strange concept. Um, and if you really, you know, people on the one hand want to drink. And on the other hand, they want to quit. You know, in, in, in a sense that they don't want to keep facing these consequences or whatever. And so they think the answer is willpower sitting there thinking about all the bad things that are going to happen if they if they pick up a drink, trying to resist the desire for a drink, and um, you're trying to almost create the little devil and yeah yeah the little devil and angel on each the fight in your head shoulder yeah, the split mind situation yeah. kind of two of you, and uh, you know I it, that that can be a very confusing thing I, I I think there's one of me you know I think there's times when we can think metaphorically about my this or that self my, yeah, right yeah. right and people talk about inner child and all these things but as far as a conscious you there's one of those and you know when you when you're looking at what how you can spend your time today um and you think i'm going to be completely miserable and uncomfortable if i don't have a drink that is you using your will to go get a drink. Right. right. And I, I don't, you know, I, I know no other way around it than saying, you know what? I'm going to feel uh, a bit better if I don't have a drink. And right. I, But willpower is sitting there wanting it, saying, don't have it. Right. Don't do it's it. Don't give it's, in. It's, it's resistance. It, and, and resistance. that is not a part of our solution. Correct. There may be times where you're in doubt and you're on the fence and you might need to convince yourself to get to one side of the fence. Okay. But we're not saying power through. Right. right? We're saying find a way to like the different option. Whether that's cutting yourself short at a, at a buzz instead of drunkenness or it's just not drinking at all or what. I don't know. The only time that... that willpower argument comes into play is if you're trying to do something you don't want to do. Yeah. So that's the only time that willpower becomes a concept that seems viable is if you, out of shame or shoulds or whatever, your family, you should be doing, you should be drinking less, you should be drugging less if you have those beliefs, and yet you still want to do it more. Yeah. And and that's when the whole uh, uh, willpower argument becomes real. Um, and so that's not what the freedom model is saying. The freedom model is saying, 
um, let's get rid of the shame and guilt and look at it objectively and say, would you be happier doing something else? You know, and and so most of what he says in his in his question here really isn't a question. It's outlining the fact that when you're deep and you are a believer in willpower, it's a struggle, you know, to yeah. understand the freedom model because you have to be educated that it's that it's it's not about the power. So you gotta get rid of this willpower thing. We are not vessels that where some people are filled more than others with the power to resist themselves. You know, yeah. We're, we're, human beings aren't made that way. They're made with infinite will to choose. All right, I'm gonna I'm going to ask a question as if I'm a guest. Okay, so what about when you're right at the beginning, and you you know that you you start to believe I'll be happier without it, but you don't quite have that belief system, and you feel like you're being. Is there a point in time when? just resisting it for a period of time may feel a little difficult for people because they're running, what he talks about is running the experiment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You run the experiment. Can I be happier drinking less? Can I be happier not drinking at all? I, uh, Here's the thing. When I quit, I was, I had some goals set mm -hmm. up in my life and, um, and I had thought about that drugs had gotten very boring and the possibility I could be happier without them. And if I ever had any thought, which was, I have to admit, rare for me at that point, I, I really was very ready to make a change. But if I ever had any thought, it was just like, I'm happier achieving mm -hmm. these things I'm trying to achieve. And I just went to that in my head. You had yeah. If there was done. any slight, like, that, that there's, there's a bunch of great stuff I'm working on in my life, and I like that. If there was any ever any doubt, so, you know, I don't, I didn't go through any resistance that time. Right. Now, when I was in the methadone programs uh, on and off for years and 12-step programs and all of that, I did go through a lot of resisting. And that it was always a losing yeah. proposition. Yeah. You know, like, that's the problem. If it's built on resistance and strength, what you have... Like, for me, I can look back, and I was still infatuated with heroin. Yep. So I had to get over that infatuation and really challenge it. And so that this the problem for me in this question is that he does kind of lay out a pretty decent yeah. summary of a lot of the freedom model. I quibble with a little bit. But, the you know, he says, um, while it may be sufficient... Uh, you know, to make a change, meaning mm -hmm. some focus on content. Well, let me just read the sentence. All my previous attempts to change have been motivated by avoided costs. And while that may be sufficient to initiate a change, my willpower cannot overcome my preference to continue problematic usage. So now I don't know if he's explaining what we have said or if he's explaining what he, he's going through. That's, that's kind of the Either, problem with this. Yeah. But, but either way... Um, he's saying like the the preference is left intact. That's right. I, That's I the really, issue. Right. I haven't really challenged it, that. I haven't gone through the process that I just laid out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yes. Yes. He, la he lays out the and, process. And so you know, and then he asks, "Would you discuss why avoided cost is a poor motivator, and why meaningful change appears so complex? People I, don't live life to avoid." costs. Nope. Right. We live life to 
to pursue benefits, to receive benefits. And so when you're focusing on this, on the costs, you have done nothing to create in your mind a path of more benefits. Right. You've only looked at costs. You're only sitting there looking at distracted. costs. You're distracted. You're distracted. And, and again, it works for a minute. You overdose or something, and that's going to put a shock in you, and a lot of people will quit for a while after that. But I, Can but, I talk about that window of opportunity? Because yeah. that's what Michelle brought up. Mm-hmm. Michelle brought up this idea that is there value to a consequence happening and then making a shift and resisting for a while. And I think that um, if you're a believer in addiction, if you're stuck in that trap and you're stuck in recovery and you're going to meetings and you're resisting and you're failing and all of that, um, sometimes resisting is a, is a small window and it's small enough, right. but it's significant enough where you're clear-headed enough to maybe get some new concepts. And so I think that it, it doesn't work over the long haul. We all know that. We know that. We know that. Um, but there are these strange windows of opportunity that people have. I have had people come to the retreat totally resistant, right, mm-hmm. to change, and but struggling and feeling like they were at the end of the rope, five-time rehabbers, you know, they've, they've been totally indoctrinated. And somewhere in this, in this retreat experience or with FMPI where they're taking private instruction, they go, oh, my God, this makes sense mm-hmm. because they're clear-headed enough without the drugs in their system, that that window of opportunity allowed them to learn. So that's the point I wanted to make, is that sometimes when you resist, if, for instance, you're reading the freedom model drunk out of your mind, you're probably not going to get a whole hell of a lot out of it. But if you give yourself three days to read the damn thing with a clear head, you just might open a window or a door to the truth that frees you. So I think that's the only value to resisting yeah. is giving yourself enough time to understand it. And I, like I said, I have people come to the retreat to hide themselves from their drug yeah, because they don't know anything else, right. you know, and then they get here and they go, oh my God, this is really different. And by the end of that two or three, four weeks, they have a completely different freedom, you know, because they now know the truth. Yeah. And well, the other thing, one of the other things he talks about in here is, um, I'm trying to, I got to find it. It, In fact, it requires multiple sessions with your students to process all of this. Um, It it doesn't for some, for some it's two sessions. Yeah. For some it's a month's worth at the retreat, you know, and so everybody is is very very different and there are people and i i kind of said you know the people that struggle there are people who've been to five rehabs and they meet with steven twice yes and they get it yeah you know um so so it really well everybody in this room was at one time a flunky of treatment. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> We're indoctrinated in the system. D- deeply, deeply indoctrinated. And every single one in this room stopped on their own. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I actually, I and I had a kind of a progression. I stopped drugs six months before I stopped drinking. Um, I told somebody that on the phone the other day, and they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, Drugs didn't appeal to me anymore. Yeah, I, I just did the same didn't thing. want to do it anymore. I did the same thing. And I think a lot of people have that experience. That's really common. Really you know? common. So and it, and so the reason I asked the question about the willpower was because I I did quit drinking before I went to AA, um, but I did 
what experience what I consider to be cravings or whatever after I was in AA. You know, I really did strongly want to go back to it. And for a period of time, I, I remember that. Yeah, I, I it was a matter of all day long willpower. Yeah, you you had that window. That's the window we were just discussing. You're different in that than me and Steve in that regard. Yeah. Both Steve and I hit a spot and we said, we're done. Yeah, and, and I, I still had a strong preference for intoxication. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, that was not challenged for me, not in AA, of course, because AA actually builds it up. You know, that's that's the thing. I, I had quit on my own. I was done for a few days. I went to an AA meeting. And the more I went to AA, the more stronger my preference for alcohol became. Yeah. yeah. Be- because it's, it, it, they, you know, it has, you know, you tell the drunk stories and, and you realize, oh, why did I quit? And maybe I'm not that bad. And I almost convinced myself that, um, that I would be happier drinking again. Well, what you're describing is the religion of booze. And, you know, people say AA is a religion, it's a Christian organization, but I would argue mm. it, it has it has sort of a bastardized version of Christianity on its side, but really the religion is the belief in the powers of alcohol. You put, you put that alcohol or drugs yes. on a pedestal, and Steve talks about it all the time with how they build the drug up, they build the drug up, and um, I was working with a student today that said that alcohol keeps her company. I said, does it? Well, yeah. let's, let's, how, how, is do, chatting with you? Well, that's right. I said that exact thing. I said, does is it chat? Too much time to get does it, does it chat? Does it, is it alive? Let's, I need to really understand. Yeah. And when we went through like three different questions, lines of questioning and, and we got to a spot and I said, so if it doesn't chat with you, if it's not sitting next to you, if it's not, if it doesn't have the power to um, take away loneliness, if it doesn't, then what do you mean by that? And she looked at me and she goes, I don't know. I never thought about that. I, and then she goes, I don't think it does keep me company, does it? I said, no, well, it doesn't. Do you feel lonely when you're drinking? Right. And, I mean, and obviously, it, you'd probably still do. And really what it was for her was uh, boredom. Yes. You know, it was a distraction to boredom. It's an and then, activity. And then we talked about even the distractions not there. So, um, and that's a whole different conversation. But the point is, is yeah, it's it's a religious experience. Mm-hmm. It's a belief system that you wrap up your whole world into, into these these magical and mystical experiences with drugs, and we personify them and we make them very supernatural. So um, yeah. that's what we do in the free miles. Cut all that shit out. Yeah, get rid of it. So, well, look, though, I'm going to bring it back around to the question. Would you discuss why avoided cost is a poor motivator and why meaningful change appears so complex? Um, when you think you need alcohol for company, right? Yeah. I am yeah. lonely without it, right? I mean, and we tell you, being social, a lot of people would say that's a deep need. human need. Yeah. Yeah. So when you believe that something is fulfilling a need, um, you're going to have a strong desire for it. You're going to do anything for it. And that's why... You know, if, you know, people in, in places where there's oppression and they can't get enough food or whatever will commit crimes and rob even though they, they know they can be put to death right. for trying to get a little extra food. Right. 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 But it's but it's a need. So it doesn't matter if there's a guy, energy. there's there's firing squads That's waiting right. to put people like you to death. A lot of people still try to break the laws and break through the oppression because they think they're full because they are fulfilling needs in that case but a perceived need is just as strong 
as a real need. If you believe I'm going to lose my mind if I don't have a drink, it'll the stress will just get too much and I'll do something awful. And so I need this for my own safety. If, if that's what you believe, you will do anything and no costs will matter. You'll pay any price to drink. Yeah. That's why it's not a good motivator. So what we got to get through is, wait a minute, you got to understand you don't really need this. When, when it gets off the pedestal, off, you know, it's altar that you have it on, right? Yeah. Like when, when you, when you lower it in your mind to something that you do not need, that is only, that offers sensations that are mildly pleasurable. Wow. Then, yep. then costs matter all of a sudden. You're like, oh yeah, is it, is it really worth all that? Then, you know, that's, right. that's, that's, when, that's when the cost factor in. But as long as it's a need to you, as long as that's how you see it, that's costs are never going to really do the job. And it's a, it's a tough thing in our culture to shift people's thinking around this way. I was, my husband and I are watching The Ranch and um, we're in the dark season, which <laughs> like we're, we're towards the end of the show. And um, one of the characters has a heroin, you know, started using heroin and the way she describes Oh, it was so painful heroin, to listen to. It was, you know, it was the, I, the, the best, I, I can't even describe it. It was, it was the, best thing you've ever eaten and the the best sex you've ever had and the best night's sleep you've ever had all rolled into one yeah and the other person you're talking to is like well then let's go do it like <laughs> like if it's really all that great yeah. let's go do it but but we talk about these things like that's true like it's a true it's objectively true objectively true for everyone that tries it at and, any given moment at too. any given moment so so that's why people get stuck i think on avoiding consequences because they don't think they don't think intellectually that it's not good. Like it's not objectively the most wonderful experience you've ever had. And you know, I, all the things I've ever tried, um, objectively, when I really looked at them, they they weren't. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, at my when I was using drugs, when I was drinking heavily, at that particular time, my my. Pers- my perspective was skewed, and I was taught to think that they were the best things I could do. Yeah. And and what you're describing on a macro level is a, just a lack of actual knowledge. Yeah, it's it's something that you're taught. I taught I talk about this in class all the time, where people say, "How did I learn this?" And I said, "Tell me what you see in a western, right, with mm-hmm. John Wayne." And that is, of course, he goes into the bar right before he yeah. goes out and duels every time, yeah. or. Or, you know, I always use the Budweiser commercial. It's always a party. It's, it's always, always funny. It's, it's so always, fun. it just, it, and so you learn these things. And I, I had a student today say to me, she goes, I'm not a part of a recovery world. She goes, but you challenged me to look for all the ways in which addiction is personified in our culture. She goes, on the hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on the hour, just a glance at TV, I do this. And she goes, I marked down all the times. It was on the hour. And she goes, I am flabbergasted at the amount of nonsense. When you read the book and then you listen to and I you know. become aware, she goes, I'm fully aware of how this mythology, this entire, and she called it the church, this church of alcohol has become a part of my life, my belief system. Yeah. Wow. And and it's it was it was really great. It was a great class. They're, they're the best of everything and the worst of everything. They, yeah. they, they're, 
they're everybody needs them for something, and but they're evil and they I can used take to, over your life. I used to say that I, when I was drinking, that I used to laugh too hard at things that weren't funny and cry too much at things that just weren't that sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had taken on literally this entire view of alcohol, the world, the drama, all of it is this weird lifestyle, you know, yeah. and then it's so bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to be out of that and just have a good life. Yeah, well, that, so that's the key of the question that he's asking, and that is to, you know, is to really, first of all, take willpower out of the out of the equation altogether because nobody does anything against their will, and then secondly, um, you have to figure out exactly how much you like it. Yeah. And, and and how important it is to you and if it's and why and what you want. And if you have a sense of need about it, I'm, I'm just going to question that across the, the board. Yes. No, nobody literally needs drugs or alcohol to survive. Right. There's a point where you can be in withdrawal and where you might need alcohol to survive. But that's after you've already felt that you needed it so much that you continued to drink it endlessly day after day after day. Why did you feel that? That is what needs to be dealt with. That belief system. And you got to get over the feeling of need. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. And now, if you don't have a sense of need, now I seem, I talk with some people that don't seem to have a sense of need or don't identify it that way and are just kind of blase. Well, the other thing is, but if, if you're blase, you don't feel like, alcohol or drugs are all that important but it's what you keep going to we're we're talking about being blase not feeling trapped it you're not really trapped with yeah. the drug you just it's the it's your belief that there's nothing better to do with your time mm-hmm. yeah this this comes into play with people who feel the sense of need as well right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then maybe in that case you need to just go out and explore life more you know what i mean and we're not, um, you know, we can challenge all of the need stuff, but uh, if you're if you're just eh about it, then just get on. If that means it's not that important, then it should be very easy for you to stop and try something else for a while. If that, you're just that, that's it exactly. I think that there's, and I think that that's what happens with. There's various degrees of people people's ability to change based on their beliefs, and if you are just a little bit blah you know, about alcohol, but you find yourself still doing it, it, sometimes it's just a case of stepping out and trying other shit. Exactly. You know, and, and, and telling yourself, and this is important, I talked about this in the last podcast, you're not required to act the same today as you did yesterday. Every day is a new chance to try something new. Give it a whirl. Go out and try some new stuff. And it doesn't take much before your life starts moving in a new direction and you'll find new things that are more exciting. Being shit-faced drunk all the time is not that fun. No, you know, it's boring. It, it really, it's, boring. It, it's, it's, it's a lonely endeavor and it's pretty boring. And also being out in clubs at 50 is not the same as when you were in college. You know, it just isn't, isn't that exciting. Um, it's ill-fitting. So, uh, yeah, go out and try some other stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, well, if you look at, you know, having a drink now and again as a treat, um, instead of as as your go-to thing. Right, your need. Your need, your need for whatever. But if you look at it as a treat, like most people don't don't eat a box of cupcakes every day. They look at one cupcake as a treat. 
you know, and um, mm -hmm. so changing your perspective also on, you know, can make all the difference. Because I, I talked to a woman over the weekend. Um, she goes, I just, she, she's been in AA many years and she's trying to leave and it's fearful and her boyfriend left and he's experimenting drinking and stuff. And that's what we talked about. She said, I, I, I just, what's going to stop me from, you know, doing what I did before? And, and I'm like, your perspective, your relationship with alcohol. So, that, so that's part of the issue is, is if your relationship with alcohol is an all or nothing thing, then you should probably stay away from it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, yeah. Um, and, you know, I said, but if you look at it as a treat once in a while and you figure out that, you know, it's, I, I don't have to be drunk. I don't, don't really like being drunk. Well, then you probably won't be drunk anymore. There, there's, you're bringing up some stuff too, like. People say to me, and this is the, probably the most common thing that's said to all of us in classes, I, I don't know why I do it. Yeah. And if you stay, if you say that, if you're out there listening right now and you say, God, that I've said that a million times, then you need to read the freedom model because you're seeing things from only a perspective that you've been taught to see them. And, uh, and you need to debunk this idea um, a big one would be, for instance, I hate the term self-medicating. You know, yeah. if you see alcohol as a medication for mental health, for instance. Mm -hmm. Or any other drug. Or, or, any, or other any other drug. drug, right. If you feel you need Xanax for anxiety, if you feel, ang you know, all those, those things are powerful motivators and put alcohol, you are in the church of alcohol or drugs. Yeah. You are in the church. You are believing it. it has medicinal mental health problem-solving capabilities then that's going to be a deep need. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you Absolutely. believe it doesn't, it doesn't contain that those properties. It doesn't have problem-solving capability or or properties. So now you believe it does. If you're one of those people that believe it does, then you have to parse that out and figure out that it doesn't, or you're doomed. You're going to just keep craving. You're going to keep using it as a medication, and it's ill-fitting. It will not provide those. You're chasing the dragon. You're chasing something that that you can't have. And that's why other things become addicting. Because I can remember when, in the 90s, when we were first talking about all of this, um, I remember, I, I, I was probably a conversation with you, Mark, where we were talking about, you know, anything can really become addicting. And now we're in an age where, you know, people go to meetings to stop shopping and to stop, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. to stop gambling and, you know, things that aren't chemically ingesting. Video games. Video right. games. Right. That, yeah. That, that. And, and of course, the, of course, the rehab industry and everything has tried to spin it that there's chemicals in your oh, yeah, brain. Yeah, I was just going to say the brain, <laughs> the brain disease malarkey yes. has. has yeah. to, to try and fit it all together. And it's like, no, if you believe you need any activity any activity, if that's the whole key to your happiness, then you're going to want to do it all the time. Yeah. You know? Question is, does it objectively, pharmacologically have problem-solving capabilities in the mental and emotional realm? Yes. Right? That's where the big leap is made. The yes. big leap is made that, that, you know, it's going to insert itself in very specific synapses and change the way you think about life, and it doesn't do that. Right. Um, all right. Do you guys want to wrap it up? Do you have anything else, Steve? No. I think we I think we answered the question pretty yeah, well. Yeah, that was concise. All That's right. Good. Thank you so much for listening today, everyone. And I hope you're all staying safe out there and 
getting through this all okay. Know that we are here uh, to talk or help. If you want to hear a sane voice in this age of craziness, um, you can talk call about us. The free, talk about the free books. Oh, and we are offering our our digital versions of our full book for free on um, thefreedommodel.org slash products. All you have to do is type in coupon code FREEDOM100. If you do it in with the um, bundle, you'll get both books. Right. The Freedom Model for Family and the Freedom Model for Addictions. Um, if you just want the family book, it's Family 100. Um, and uh, so, and if you just want the Freedom Model for Addictions, it's Freedom 100. So that's at thefreedommodel.org. And a free class. And there's a free class available um, at leaveaddictionbehind.com. You can sign up for that. Um, and we offer a bunch of free resources on thefreedommodel.org, including our videos, these podcasts, and, and um, other ebooks that we have. Um, our books are also available on Amazon and the Kindle version. Unfortunately, we can't do coupons on Amazon because they just won't let us. Um, there are three Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. Um, and there are great Leaving AA and Deprogramming groups on Facebook as well, so check them out. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. Bye.